I am... Um, I've been mulling over what to share today um, and hadn't been able to settle uh, on what I should say. And uh, I hope by the time I finish this morning, you'll decide that I had settled on something. Um, it's, it's, um, I had a bit of a funny day on Friday. It's been a bit of a funny period, really. Uh, lots of things flying around at work. And um, I got to, it was 4.40 on Friday, treated myself to an early trip to my car. Um, uh, so I decided to co- I was going to come home 4.40. I knew that uh, I knew there was this special stuffed chicken breast in the oven um, uh, that was that was waiting for me. Um, we had uh, Lydia was home, so that's uh, another reason for getting home uh, extra quick uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, most of the time. And uh, and and Christina and you know Isabel, they're all waiting for me. And I thought, oh, this is so exciting. I'm just getting in the car. So I just, just and I, I have this thing. I don't know how many husbands have this uh, uh, condition on them, but I have to, as I get in my car, I have to say, I'm on the way, because no matter what I've said the night before, when I'm coming home is a mystery known only to me. Uh, well, actually, very rarely known to me, actually. Uh, so, so I have to send the message, say, on the way, or on way, en route, or something. I use different ones on different days. Depends how the mood takes me. So out comes the phone. I'm about to type. I'm on the way. Two missed calls. Oh. Three messages. Oh. Okay. Uh, so better, better just... Oh, it's my sister. Oh, I wonder what my sister wants. Oh. Mum's in A&E, can you come over? Um, I, I said, oh, it's my sister's birthday as well on Friday. You were supposed to know that. I hope you all sent her a card. Uh, <laughs> but it's my sister's birthday on Friday. Uh, and I thought, well, that's not good, is it, for, for Sue to be in... That's my sister. Uh, to be in hospital on her birthday. I thought, that probably isn't a great blessing to her. Um, so I give Sue a ring. Oh, well, uh, Mum's at the day centre... And she was just getting out to go, and the lady behind her put on her coat and fell over on Mum, and took Mum with her, and Mum grated her face on a radiator on the way down. Um, she's all right, she's all right, you get some sympathy. She's, she's fine, really. A lovely big shiner now, and, and various things, she's fine. Uh, but... Um, but obviously, at that stage, I didn't know. So I, I think, well, I could get in the car, and I could, in half an hour, I can be in Barnet, is, my, is where my mum lives. So I could be, half an hour, I could be there, or I could go home, have tea, you know, and then maybe get, no, I bet, better go. So I checked with the authority, and, uh, and we agreed that the only, the only option I had was to, uh, to shoot over. So I shot over to A&E. Had a great time uh, sitting in A&E with my mum. She has... Um, she has Alzheimer's, uh, but she's really high-functioning Alzheimer's, so she looks after herself, but she can't remember anything. So she'd been, um, she'd been to the day centre, and before this, they'd obviously been doing some kind of activity. They'd made, they'd made Easter cards. which So during the time we were sitting in the waiting room, which was quite a long time, uh, we got out of the hospital about half past nine, um, uh, and uh, she kept going in her bag to f- find things. So she, she finds this card that she'd made, the Easter card. Oh, that's nice, she'd say. Where did I get that? I said, you made that today. So she was sitting there with the other lady who she'd collided with or who had collided with her. Um, she had a book on Easter cookery as well. Oh, 
what's this? Where did I get this from? Mum, you got it at the day centre. Oh, let's have a look at it. Why would I want that? I don't know. You bought it. I don't know. Anyway, so we went around this and we had a little thing. I thought, what a lovely life, actually, when nice things are happening, that she can just, every time she looks in a bag, it's like it's a surprise. <laughs> it's like, not only do you get the joy of finding the thing that you've made, but you keep getting it over and over. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. And, and um, so she said... So, and then the doctor said, um, so does, does your mother live with anyone? I said, no, she doesn't. So can, can someone, we can't leave, you can't leave her. She needs someone with her for 24 hours. And I'm like, ah. So Friday is supposed to be this, had been stuffed chicken breast followed by a nice evening with friends. And it became a night on the sofa, uh, sleeping. Sofas aren't long enough, I've decided. They used to be. Um, sofas aren't long enough. And... Um, and my mother has a, a wild cat that seems to be nocturnal. I've discovered it's nocturnal. And although, although the cat could be shut out of the room, the door doesn't shut. So when you shut the door, the cat just opens it. Uh, so I had an enjoyable evening um, uh, on the sofa and early morning. Um, and, uh, but generally, all fine. Mum's fine. She's absolutely fine. Didn't need much doing to her. It's just, unfortunately... She's 87, so things, things get more complicated than... Or more complicated than they sort of seem to be, need to be. Uh, she's glued back together. Um, she's supposed to keep it dry for 24, um, five days. So what's the first thing she does in the morning when I'm there? Splash, splash, splash. Mum, have you just washed your face? I did say you should... Anyway, it's a, it's a surprise. It's the downside about Summers, but she's still got that book. I found it by her bed. Um, oh, I've got a nice husband book of um, Easter cookery. I don't know where it's come from, but it's really nice. That's nice, Mum. But I, I, I just thought, isn't that interesting, an unexpected thing? How we respond to the unexpected is really key. When we're talking to people about Jesus, when we're reaching out to them, when we're in this world of harvest, unexpected things are going to happen. And how we deal with those unexpected things, surprises, um, they can be an irritation, they can be a frustration. Uh, But you know, the thing is that when God allows these things to happen, what we've planned falls into the background, and suddenly we find ourselves doing something completely different. I could have been sitting in the hospital resentful all night about the dinner that was getting cold in the oven at home, that initially I thought I was going to get home to eat. Uh, you know, I could have been frustrated with the two-hour wait to be checked in, the two-hour wait to see a doctor, the two-hour wait to see the nurse, to stitch her back up, when actually all she needed was a bit of super glue, you know. That's, I'm sure it's super glue. I'm sure it's not super glue. Sorry, there's too many doctors in the house. I shouldn't say things like that. Doing a fantastic job, but it, it felt a little bit like the days of waiting. We used to belong to the AA, and the AA had this two-hour response guarantee which always meant a man in a van who could do absolutely nothing after two hours. So the man in the van would turn up and say, oh, you need a breakdown, Laurie. And we'd say, well, we know that, because this is in the days when our car used to break down. Doesn't, it doesn't do it so much now. used to. It used to have a Mini. and it, A proper Mini. Sorry, proper Mini. I'm going off the point, aren't I? Is this a... <laughs> Daniel, you're on point. Excellent, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, it felt a little bit like that. You know, you've got to wait for this person, you've got to wait for 
Okay, back to the point. There is, there is, sometimes we find in our lives there's a new focus, something that God's given us. And although the plan might have been a good one, we can't insist on keeping to that plan because his, his plan has moved on. There is something new that's happened. Um, and I was talking before about growth last month, and I, I think we're still in this season of growth. And in, in, the, in the season of growth, one thing is absolutely true. We will change. We will change individually. We'll change corporately. We will change. And it, it's inevitable. Uh, Paul writes in... 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're being transformed from one degree of glory into another. There is something which God has for us now that's been good for a time. There is a place that we're going to that is, that is a new thing. And we have to be prepared to give way to that change. Now, if you're like me, and you like everything taped down and, and in boxes and sorted, um, then, then actually that's not great. You like to have all your ducks in a row, but actually it is great because where we are now is good and we're thankful for it, but we know where we're going is somewhere better. As we do what God says to us, it will produce change. And sometimes that change can be instant, but most often it's a process. Most often it's a process. Um, I was, looking, I was looking back in my notes, and I found I, I talked about this. Um, uh, some of you probably weren't even born in 2000. Um, I've still got it on my computer. Good old computers, eh? And I was talking about when Peter and John went to pray, they met a, this lame man on the way. I think I sung the song last time. I won't sing the song. And how they prayed for this guy. And um, if you look it up in the story of Acts, um, and what's strange is they say, so, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And um, the thing is, they help him to his feet. And as they do that, his legs become strong. And I was, I was thinking about the fact that sometimes God said something about deliverance, about healing. Uh, and, and actually, it's in the process of us doing stuff that the miraculous happens. Helping him to his feet wasn't miraculous, but... As, as that happened, his legs became strong. And um, that process can be a time of transition. And I think that for us, there's sometimes a gap between when we've heard what God's going to do uh, and, and when it actually happens. Uh, and I think it's a special time when, when um, motives are tested. Um, it can be awkward. I, I, I can't, I've, I've, I've not done what Peter and John did yet. Um, and I kind of think it would be a bit, a bit awkward. Um, you know, there's this guy been sitting on the floor for 40 years, and I'm helping him up. And he said, well, I can't, I can't get up. Don't be silly. I can't get up. Uh, but it's time to hold on to God at that time and, um, and activate his promise. It got me thinking about, though, this, this thing of journeys and our expectation and where... So journeys can be actual, journeys can be transitions, can be actual spiritual things. Like we can, I can be travelling home and I end up in Barnet in an A&E. Or I can, be, I can be thinking about where my job's going and I can be applying for a promotion and I can end up staying doing what I'm doing. And it doesn't... It, it, with God, these things are all part of our pilgrimage. Uh, pilgrimage is not, are not, is not just about going from 
A to B in the physical, we know it's about going from one revelation to the next, one degree of glory to the next. And I got to thinking about people that have had surprising journeys in, in the Bible. Um, and, um, and I got to thinking about Jonah. Um, so I thought, I thought we'll, we'll start here. Um, I've got another example afterwards, and then um, some other things. We're going to just see what, what, what God says to us. So um, the word of God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed from Tarshish, sorry, for Tarshish, to flee from the Lord. So, I've got a question for you. What, what does Jonah think he's doing here? Why is he going to Tarshish? It's fairly obvious, kind of comprehension, really. He's running away. He's running away. Sometimes we start our journeys because we're running away. Sometimes we, we know what we need to do, and, and actually we kind of persuade ourselves. If we, we, although God said that, maybe if we go in this direction, he'll kind of forget about it. Um, he's got himself into a position where he, he, he thinks or he imagines he can escape it. Um, this is a man who, who can hear God. This is not just... This, this is a special prophet man. This is a man who's, who's picking up the words of God in such a way that it's clear he's got a message. He knows him that well. And yet what he's doing um, is he's, he's running away. This is not a half-hearted obedience. This is a downright disobedience. He's going the wrong way. To give you an idea how far the wrong way, okay, so he's over here, okay, oh, I've got a pointer thing, haven't I? Oh, look, oh, I just remembered that. So he's over here at A, God's saying, go to Nineveh. So he goes, ooh, he's going to the other end of the Mediterranean. That is, that is like, that is the other end of the world as far as he's concerned. In fact, probably is the end of the world uh, as far as he's concerned. And he's heading in this direction, okay, um, he takes one look at what God said he needs to do, and he says, oh, I think I've got other things I ought to be doing. I'm going to go this way, because after all, he is the God of Israel, and right over here, well, that isn't, that isn't where my God lives. So what happens? Well, the Lord sends up a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the, thri- that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, uh, and, and they start to, to try and work out what it is. They all start praying to God. Where's Jonah? Jonah's asleep downstairs. He's asleep downstairs. I think that's quite good going, actually, for someone who's running away from God. He's asleep downstairs. Uh, well, downstairs, down in the hold. So uh, the captain goes and finds him and says, in the hold, downstairs. Have I made another joke? No, no, in the hold. He's, in, he's downstairs in the hold. What's going Well, anyway. So, he goes there, the captain goes there. He says, don't you care if we drown? You need to be praying to your God, because we know that you've got a God. It's not the same as the God of the, um, of the other crew members. We need you to be praying, or else. 
anyway, he, he sort of has a go, and, and nothing, nothing much happens. So, so what they do is they come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And, um, and uh, they find that it's Jonah's fault. And, uh, and they say, well, look, what, what the heck have you done, for goodness sake? Um, you know, what have you done? And then uh, he said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they terrified, that terrified them. And they said, um, they knew he was running away from the Lord because they'd already told him so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make, uh, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And so he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this storm has come upon you. So they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm, and that all the men greatly feared the Lord, I bet they would, and, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Okay, let's just think. So he's running away from God. He knows he's running away from God. What is it that Jonah thinks he's doing now? Where does he think he's going? Well, What's he think he's doing? He thinks he's going to die, doesn't he? He thinks he's going to die? I think he thinks he's going to die. I think he's, I think he's certainly totally, he's totally throwing himself into God's mercy, isn't he? There's no, nothing he can do to fix it at this point. Okay? Um, and um, I, I really don't think he knows what's happening. I think he can see the sea. He can see it's rough. I reckon... He's pretty sure he's not going to get out of that water again. But, of course, and you know the story, you may know the story, God sends a large fish to swallow him. That isn't where he was expecting to go. Um, and, and, then the, and then the Lord commands the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, remember, he thought he was going all the way over here, and somehow, ooh, 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 okay, he thought he was going all the way over here, uh, and somehow God's allowed a fish to catch him, keep him in his belly for three days, and chuck him back up over here. So now, so now um, God speaks to him again. And we, I've skipped a bit where he's praying in the belly of the whale. Um, and, uh, and in that time, he comes to a place of just, just trusting God for the outcome. It's not the outcome that he was looking for, uh, but he's just trusting in God. He's finding himself alive and in a dark place. But it's a kind of weird life, it has to be said. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to them. So, give to you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. That's a, that is a lot. That's a big city, isn't it? Three days to walk through. 30 miles across, something like that. Jonah began by um, going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. As the proclamation he issued in Nineveh went like this. By the decree of the king and his nobles, 
Don't let uh, people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and have compassion and turn his face, turn his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and didn't bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Again, Jonah's going to do the thing that God has asked him to... Well, I say again. This time, God's going to, Jonah's going to do the thing that God has given him to do. And he's pretty sure he knows what's going to happen because God's given it to him in the word that he's been given. So he goes ahead and he does it. But now God does something really strange. In some translations, the Good News translation talks about God changing his mind in verse 10. God sees what they've all done, and he changes his mind. That word relent, he relents. Um, Another translation says he repents. That really does my head in. He repents of his anger. He relents. He, he feels sorry. He has the... I looked, had a look at what the word means. I tried to, to try, because I thought, well, this is really weird. Why are they translating it like this? I have a bit of a problem with God repenting of things. Sounds like he got something wrong. And I don't believe he ever does. But the word there is about taking pity, about having compassion. It is about changing his mind. And he doesn't do as he's threatened. We need to understand that God deals with us in our time. Things he says he will do will flex and change as he works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and will. So as, as we are being obedient and as we do the very thing that God's given us to do, sometimes unexpected things happen. He, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that when he got there, his message was, he, well, he knew... He knew when he got there, no one would want to listen to him. So he's not going there. He's running away. He's going to the other end of the Mediterranean, the other end of the world. And, and that's, that's, that's his way of escaping from it. Now he's doing it and people are listening to him. He's not expecting it. He's not expecting to be listened to. But God is allowing his word to be expected. But one thing he does know is that every word of God proves true. So when he says that... Uh, when he says, in 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown, he knows that that's true. And yet God hears the repentance of this people, and he changes his mind. Wasn't expecting it. Jonah then gets really angry. Does anyone know why he gets angry? Why? Well, Apart from this, what, what's the reason the Bible gives for why he gets angry? It actually, it, it says, it says it to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Uh, and he became angry. He seemed very wrong. Sometimes things can happen that seem very wrong. That seem very wrong. But we have to give God the place that has always been his. He is our Lord. And what he decides is what's right. Jonah said, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, when I was still at home, 
This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Well, maybe. Maybe he was a bit afraid. We don't know. That's what he's saying to God. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. Jonah's not got a very positive outlook on life, has he? You know, he's on a ship, there's a big storm. What does he need to do? He's going to kill himself. But he isn't actually killing himself. He's giving up his life to save the others on the boat. Here, he's saying, Lord, take my life. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? As I was preparing this, I was thinking, there may be things that you've, where you've been surprised by the outcome. And actually, you can just roll with it. But other things where you're surprised and the outcome is not what you expected, they just make you downright angry. And the thing is, if we allow that anger to rest in us, it it has a really profound and hardening effect on our ability to love and our ability to please God, because it's a sin. So Jonah goes out and sits to the east of the city, and God makes a, a, a tree grow over him. That's what that picture is of Jonah. It's not actually a real photograph. But um, he's sitting under this tree, which God allows to grow up uh, and shelters him. And it's re- a really hot day as he's steaming there and feeling angry. And then God takes away the life of the thing that's grown up over him and has been sheltering him. And, and then Jonah starts to get angry about that as well. And he says, why have you taken away this thing that was such a, a great blessing to me? And God says... But hang on a minute, I've just decided to spare the life of all these people in the city and you're worrying about this tree. And, and sometimes we don't see things accurately. We don't see things as he, as he does. Um, when we start to follow God, and some of you have made that, con- that decision a long time ago, some of you made that decision really recently, but when we start to follow God, when we start to follow the Lord, we give him the place he's always had that is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We make him our King. We make him our Lord. That means he's in charge. Things might go the way that we, we thought they would, but in all things, God will work for the, call, the good of those who are called according to his purpose and will. That's Romans eight twenty eight. So, I was thinking about that story, which was a, a story of surprises, whether it was... Um, trying to escape from God and ending up in the belly of the fish, uh, thinking you're going to die, but being spewed up on a beach, being given a second chance, going and doing the very thing that God's told you to do and then having a surprise in the outcome of that thing. And it seemed to me that for for us there might be different things that, that we might be going through to do with the journey that we're going through. It could be that we're running scared, that God's given us something to do and and actually... In that, we're kind of, we're hearing it, but we're aware that if we do that thing, there's going to be a lot of maybe pushback from the person we're sharing with. Or, or maybe, maybe we're expecting to not be received well. You see, the thing is, if God's actually given you that to do, and there's a way of weighing that word by talking to, your, uh, by talking to, to people, your brothers and sisters in the church, talking to your leaders and weighing that word, if God's actually given you that to do, then actually the response is going to be something you can cope with. 
it might be pushback. It doesn't mean that the whole city is going to come to repentance necessarily. But it might change a whole company. It might change the place that you work, the atmosphere of your office. Or it may change one person's heart. We don't know the consequence. What we know is that if God's given it to do, then we need to go on and do it. Um, Maybe we're in the belly of a fish. Now, I realize that no one here, as far as I can tell, is actually in the belly of a fish this morning. But it could be that you're in that kind of place where you've, you've run away, and frankly, it stinks where you are. It's not a nice place. It's a bit dark, it's a bit smelly, and really not a great place to be. Um, I don't think God wants us to stay there. Are we obeying reluctantly? Or are we obeying full-heartedly? Maybe, as I said, maybe there's this anger about the way that something has come out the wrong way. There's something that God could deal with us. I mentioned my uh, work. It's been one of the things that God's been uh, dealing with me in. Um, we we uh, used to talk about our workplaces... Uh, well, we do talk about our workplaces quite a lot. And one of the pictures I know we've taught that is that where we work can be like an anvil for God. Um, uh, an anvil is a hard bit of metal you beat another bit of metal against to get it into the right shape with a hammer. And, and God can use our places of work as being a place where we... So, so, you know, the church can be this loving, accepting community where we're, we're all... Uh, lovely and, and kind to each other. And then we go to work and we get beaten up by the system. But God uses that. We're not a victim of that. God uses that to shape us into, into the shape he has for us. Um, and um, I, my employment history is very boring. Um, I started working for my school in 1992. So when I fill out my CV, it says previous employment, and I'm still going, well, I haven't got any previous employment. Maybe I should put on some different job titles and things like that. So I do that instead. Um, And I've been doing my current role there since 2009. And the natural thing for me to do next would be to look for a... I'm a head of a large department, would be to look for a deputy head role. Um, and uh, a year ago, the job came up, and I think I shared from here, um, in this context, that God gave me a picture of, of um, well, it was a, a picture that God spoke to me through a dream, but it was, a, it was essentially about enjoying where I was and not moving on. And that God said, actually, no, you might think you could do that, and you could do that, but I want you to enjoy where you are and not to press on. So that was the word to me then. Well, the person who was appointed to the role left after a year with um, half a term's notice. And so the job came up again to this year. Uh, and this time, I felt God gave me the green light. I weighed it with others, talked to others about it, and I felt God said, yeah. And it was a different role. That had been an assistant head role. And this was a deputy head role. So, you know, whew, really uh, was, would, have been, would be quite a stretch uh, when I got it. So, um, so I was sort of excited and daunted at the same time, which is actually a good thing, because actually if God, if God gives you something to do, it, it should be both exciting and daunting. Um, and um, I, th- I thought about it. 
And I got this email that said I'd been shortlisted for interview, which is very exciting. Um, it's also slightly confusing because it was for a shortlisting interview that I'd been shortlisted. So, so that was slightly confusing, but anyway. Um, so anyway, so I, I, in, the, in the whole process, I had to do a task, which meant being shut in a room for 40 minutes and writing like mad. Uh, probably more words than I've written by hand in the last 20 years, probably. Uh, um, Almost like doing an exam. I was really quite, quite stressed out. Um, and uh, wasn't stressed, really. wasn't stressed. But I wrote down some things. Uh, and taught a lesson, which I thought, well, that's good. I've taught there for 25 years, but they need to see that I can still teach. So I, I, I taught a lesson, uh, and, and, um, which was observed. And, just, um, and I had an interview, which was a chat with the head on his own, which is interesting also. And during that time, I kind of concluded that the role probably wasn't for me. And, and the next day, they had concluded the same. So, 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 so um, I mean, I'd gone to school that morning, and I, and I had this song in my head, if Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. So I went to school, and I felt that's what God's told me. Jesus says yes. If Jesus says yes. Yeah. So I'm going into my interview. I'm going to my exam. Um, and I'm thinking, well, this is really, this is really fun, so I'll just uh, have a go. But the moment he started asking me questions, I thought, I'm not interested in this. this is I don't know. Is this published on the web? Anyway. Uh, mind. It's fine. Uh, um... But the thing was, it's kind of weird that it was just so easy and actually so, so badly failed, in a sense. Oh, badly failed, badly. It was an easy decision. It wasn't like, oh, we think you're really good. We think you could do it, but we'd really like you. It was just like, no, I think you're not the right person, which is fine. It's kind of weird because amongst my peers, I'd feel amongst my peers at school people would kind of think that it would be something I would do. And it's like, well, why don't you? You know, kind of just go, why don't you? You could do that. Why don't you do that? Um, so I was talking about it afterwards and, and with someone who cares for me, and they were saying, you know, it's, it, they felt that God was saying that he's keeping me apart for himself. That the decision is like, it was like weird, but the decision was based on God keeping, him, keeping me apart for himself. And I shouldn't worry about it. And, and I suppose that's, that's kind of what I feel. I felt the song was not a triumphalist, oh, if Jesus says yes, no one can say no. But it was more a kind of, look, if I get it, I don't get it. If God's got it on my agenda, that's something I'm going to get. And it really doesn't matter. It, it's like I don't, I don't need to get stressed out about it. Um, and, um, and so I could... It's how I respond now to the unexpected, because in a sense it was unexpected, in another sense it was entirely expected. But in one sense it was un- unexpected. I could mutter in my tent and agree about how uh, rubbish their decision-making process were, and I could, I could, um, you know, do other things like that. Or I can celebrate that God's in charge. That if Jesus says yes, no one can say no, and that God's keeping me apart for Himself because actually He's got something else He's got for me to do. That actually is is actually of kingdom perspective. I've got to have a kingdom perspective, not a worldly perspective. So, and the trouble is with, 
and I think it particularly forget, uh, affects those uh, who are like full-time workers. But workers, I mean, people that uh, have full-time jobs, I think particularly affects us. You can get onto this sort of greasy pole thing of thinking, well, what I, my, my job title is, is something that gives me worth, and, and you kind of want to move on. Even, even you can dress it up as a kind of a, a good-hearted thing because you, you kind of want to have influence for God, you want to develop his kingdom. And all. But actually, the important thing is about obedience to what he says. Now, I wouldn't have applied if God hadn't said, given me the green light to do so. Uh, and I felt he did. And, and it is a long time since I've done an application like that. And I appreciate others of you probably done more. And as I sat there and filled out the form and spent almost the entire weekend filling out a form, I thought this is really probably a little bit more, than, more time than it should be taking me. Um, but how you respond when you get the unexpected is, is very important. I mean, that's, you know, that's quite recent. That was one of the other things that's been happening. When I said I've had a busy time at work, that was only, like, last two weeks ago. Um, well, anyway, here's another unexpected journey. So today, today, in the traditional church calendar, is, is actually Palm Sunday, you may be aware, or you may not be aware. Palm Sunday is the day when we remember... At the beginning of Holy Week, the beginning of the time where we remember Jesus' last week of life, when he goes into Jerusalem, and, um, and this happens. Go to the village ahead of you, says Jesus, and at once you'll find a donkey there with a colt by her. Untie her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord has need for them, and he'll send you right away. And this took place to, to fulfill what's been spoken through the prophet. This is the prophet Zechariah. Say to, the, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on, on him for Jesus to sit on. And a very gr- large crowd spread cloaks on the road while others pr- uh, cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And the crowds, they they welcome him. Hosanna is a special word. It means God saves. Glory to God who saves us. It's difficult to translate exactly, but that's the sort of thing that they're saying. And when they see him doing this, they're remembering what Zechariah wrote in 520 BC. Well, they don't have it as 520 BC, surprisingly then, but about 500 years before For 500 years, they've been waiting to see the coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, says Zechariah in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. So 
Sorry. I will, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from, river, from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. You know what Richard was talking about this morning um, when he talked about the empty cross and the empty tomb and this water where we'd never thirst again. I'm going to come back to that at the end, but that's what God promises. He promises for those in the waterless pit a supply, a supply of his Holy Spirit that will satisfy and never leave you thirsty again. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I'm reading all of this because I want you to understand that when they saw Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, this is what it triggered in their brains. They're not just seeing a a bloke on a donkey. They're hearing the promises of God that have been handed from generation to generation for 500 years. And the Lord will appear. The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the earth. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bow, like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his hand like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and the new wine the young women. That's interesting. That. I'm sure there's a joke in that. But the, the, first bit, the first bit I was really struck by This prophecy is to be fulfilled through Jesus. This prophecy is to be fulfilled through him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But they were not expecting the way that Jesus was to fulfill that journey. With that background and expecting that outcome, they were not expecting to see a crucified king. Within this week, we remember that Jesus was crucified We remember that his blood was poured out. They were expecting this great king. And yet, what they found was one who seemed to have lost. Who seemed to have lost. I think there are times on our journeys when it seems like things have just got to such a state that there is no hope. They were expecting to see their prisoners set free. They were expecting to see the the fortunes of Jerusalem restored. To see this place when the Lord saves his people and that they would sparkle in his hand like jewels in a crown. And yet what they see is Jesus crucified. It's no wonder that on Friday, by the time we get to the end of the week, there's no one with him. It was not the journey that they expected. And yet, amazingly, it was the journey that Jesus had foretold. 
It was the story that he expected. So I think that God's been speaking to us clearly. And we have that uh, prophetic word stirring amongst us. Um, But I think it's important for us to expect the unexpected. We need to get further insight. We might be expecting, reading prophecy, like the prophecy from Zechariah, and expecting a certain outcome. The outcome is assured, but the journey, the way you get there, is not always the way that you think it's going to be. So it's true that every word of God proves true, and the outcome proves true. But the journey that you go on to get from here to there is not always the one that you expect. Whether it's Jonah in the belly of the fish, whether it's Jesus entering Jerusalem, whether it was Saul trying to stamp out this group of crazy people that were believing in Jesus being alive on his way to Damascus, whether it was Peter at Cornelius' house trying to work out what these silly Gentile people were supposed to do and whether they all needed to become Christians and God fills them with the Holy Spirit while he's still speaking to them. Whatever it is, whatever surprise God has for us, we don't want to miss those surprises, what unexpected things he has for us. And there can be all sorts of reasons for unexpected journeys. Sometimes it's that we just haven't, we haven't got incomplete revelation. For now we know in part... Sometimes it's the actions that we've taken, like Jonah, we've kind of run away. Sometimes it's the actions of others. Sometimes it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the fact that God is involved with us in our time and is changing his mind. It's changing his mind. Sometimes I think he allows unexpected journeys to show that the glory belongs to him. So it's not something that's come out of our thoughts. It's not something that we've worked out. But rather it's something that God has ordained for us. So I'd encourage you, I'd like to encourage us to embrace the unexpected journey when it happens. God's sovereignty is never challenged by something we haven't expected. You know, we're, we're, we're on this motorbike... Uh, pinion riding with the Holy Spirit and he's the one who's leading us and if you're sitting in the car at 4.40 on a Friday or 5.30 whatever and you suddenly discover you have another thing to go and do that you had not made any provision for it's time for us to just go with it and to to see where God's going to how God's going to use that and what he's going to communicate So I want to I want to finish with um, I want to finish with a, a short uh, video. It's a song, um, and uh, you'll recognise the song. But I want us to just use it to focus on the unexpected journey that Jesus had after that moment of great triumph. To have been in that crowd, I, I don't know whether I've communicated this right, but to have been in this crowd on Palm Sunday, on that special day when Jesus walks in on the donkey, and they see that they're being persecuted right, left and centre. They have no king but a puppet. 
They have, they're under the pressure of the Romans. They have no hope as a people. And yet Jesus is there on a donkey, promising all those things that Zechariah has promised to them. A, a whole new beginning, a whole new hope. And they're so excited and they're so rejoicing that they're ripping branches off the trees, that they're throwing their clothes down in the field, in, in the path. And they're shouting out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God, you're sending someone. You've heard our cry. You know that how dreadful our lives are. This is exactly what we need. At last, how long have we waited? And this is how God answered.
So I think what I, what I want to bring to you this morning is it doesn't matter where on our journey we are. God has a hope for you. God has a hope for you. It doesn't matter. It matters immensely to him. I understand what I mean by it doesn't matter. It matters immensely to him where you are on your journey. Whether you're at the point of giving up on something that you've really longed for. That matters hugely to him. But it's of no consequence to the promise that he's given you as to whether you're on Good Friday just waiting for Easter Sunday or whether you're in the wonder of Easter Sunday I believe that God has these truths for us this morning that there may be unexpected events on the way God always intended to make him Lord of all and the Jewish people they'd studied the law they'd studied the the prophecy and they thought they understood the journey that was ahead Well, they got it wrong. And God chose a new people and gave them the opportunity to join. What's God got for you? I'd like us to use that song because from life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. You know, there is no one else who has a hold over me. Ah, deputy head rolls. Not my head pastor's job to give them away. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. And if I got a job that wasn't the right one, that would have been completely up the pole. And thank you for those of you that were praying for me, because I know that I know that I spoke to a number of you about it, and you spoke to me afterwards. But you know, it really is not anything. God has so much more for us.